Numbers chapter 22. We'll begin reading in verse number 12. Now, if you were able to be here last week, we began studying a man by the name of Balaam. We're going to study his life and his ministry. He is, without, uh, by my estimation, one of the oddest people in all the Word of God. His case is very unique. Uh, I mentioned last week, as far as I can tell, he is the only Gentile prophet in the Old Testament. Some would include Job, include Job into that. I don't necessarily think that Job was a prophet per se, but even still, he is a very rare occurrence in the Word of God. And then also, he's, he's unique in the fact that Bible scholars and Bible commentators and Bible students in general are very divided on his commitment level to God and really his allegiance to God. Some would say that Balaam is not at all a Christian and Balaam was uh, good at playing religion. And then others would say that Balaam was a good man who was godly but uh, tended to lose his way a little bit. So you be the judge of how you want to believe in the Bible. I think that the Bible gives us liberty in certain areas to believe that. And I would never cast my opinion upon you. But I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to preach what the Bible says. And I believe it's a unique case that it directly applies to each and every person in this room tonight, specifically on, uh, on finding and doing God's will. And that's what we're talking about this week. Last week was getting to learn a little bit about Balaam. This week is about finding and doing God's will. Verse number 12 in Numbers chapter number 22, the Bible says, And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak, and said, Balaam refuseth to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor. And I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people." And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now I would draw your attention to that phrase in regards to Balaam's commitment level to God and his allegiance. I'll read that again for you. And I think this goes a long way to describing what type of man Balaam was. The, uh, verse number 18 says, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore I pray you tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which uh, I shall say unto thee, that shall thou do. That do Now that's quite a different message than what God gave him earlier, right? Verse number 12, the Bible says, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt 
not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now we find here in verse number 20, God uh, changes somewhat here uh, his opinion on the matter, and he instructs Balaam, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them, but yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that, that, that shalt thou do. Now it's quite a different response from God. Would you agree? The first one is, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The next one is, well, if they come to you and approach you again, then you go with them. Okay, so God has uh, somewhat uh, uh, budged, if you'll allow me to use that term. Uh, at verse number 22, And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Now, does anybody see anything missing in the passage? Uh, the, the tremendous omission here is the fact that God said, Balaam, you can go with them if they come call you again. And the Bible says the next morning, Balaam rose up and it was almost like he was at the breakfast table pouring them Wheaties so that they could get on the road early. There's a little bit of a discrepancy in what God said to do and what Balaam ended up doing. Verse number 22, And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started this evening. Father, I pray that you would bless now the scripture reading. I pray that you would allow us to learn from it. Help us to glean what may be applicable to us, especially in regards to finding your will and doing it in our life. I pray that you would help us now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you recall the circumstances we spoke of last week, what's going on in the passage, but basically Israel is camped out in the plains of Moab, and uh, uh, the king, Balak, uh, he is very concerned because he's heard the stories, and he's seen what the children of Israel have done to uh, uh, the Ammonites and the Canaanites. And he realizes that on his own, he stands no chance against Israel. And so what the king of Moab, Balak, does is he approaches uh, the Midianites and says, hey, we need to team up together and, and we need to see if we can stand against them together. And even after the allegiance gained by Balak with Midian, he says, we still don't stand a chance. So what he does is he sends his elders from Moab and he sends the elders of Midian to a man by the name of Balaam. This man, in Balak's mind, has the authority to bless a nation and curse a nation. So much so that Balak told Balaam, Man, I know if you'll bless us and curse them, we will win and they will lose. He had full belief in Balaam's authority. Now, I don't really know what gave him that belief. I don't know what made him think that. But I do know that he believed it with all of his heart. And he said, If you come with us, Moab and Midian team together looking against Israel, and you bless us and curse them, then we will be victorious. Now the only catch is, he's already got Midian in on it. Now what he needs is he needs Balaam in on it. And so he sends these elders to uh, uh, Balaam, and he says, hey, 
uh, King Balak wants you to come bless this nation. There's a great nation cast out before it. Man, they're, they're, they're bigger than the sands of the seashore. You just look out and you can't even see the edge of the congregation. And so Balaam says, all right, stay with me. I'll, I'll consult with the Lord. You know, Balaam does that and he wakes up the next morning. In verse 12, we find out what God's consultation was. And it was simply this. You can't go, Balaam. And so, last week we kind of spoke on the tremendous honor that uh, uh, we should bestow upon Balaam for finding God's will and doing God's will. But here was the problem. It didn't end there. And in regards to finding God's will and doing God's will in your life, it is very much an ongoing process. I remember when I was in the youth department, I was in Brother John Ringgold's class, uh, Sunday school class. And you say, Brother John taught in the youth. Yeah, we, we fixed that mistake a long time ago. We graduated him to the adults. You know, shaping young minds is much different than warping old minds. So uh, uh, we fixed that mistake a long time ago. But no, I enjoyed being in Brother John's class. And uh, he taught a lesson series called Discover Your Destiny. And that lesson series spoke about finding God's will for your life. And it talked about some of the major decisions for teenagers in their developmental years. For instance, where they go to college, what occupation they choose. And probably, besides salvation, the most important decision that any person will ever make is who they marry. And so I enjoyed the lesson series. I, I learned as much as you can learn from an Aggie. And uh, uh, so it was a good thing there. But it's almost as if when we graduate from the youth department, we stop talking about God's will for an adult life. It kind of seems like, well, teenagers, as long as you get set on the right path, you'll always stay on the right path. Well, that's not what we find in the Bible. And so just because you're an adult, you say, Brother Andrew, I... I'm a 75-year-old man. What can I learn from you? Probably not much, but you can learn a lot from the Bible. And just because you may be in a, a wheelchair or just because you may walk with a walker, that does not disqualify you from discovering God's will and doing God's will. I don't know if some of you have noticed, but here recently there has been a, a craze hit America, really hit the world. Uh, the past two weeks, there has been this, I, I hesitate to call it a plague, but essentially I think that would be an accurate term, called Pokemon Go hit uh, the world. Uh, it was so funny. A few weeks ago, it was released, and our exterior usher team, uh, which they do a great job, and I thank every man that's in that, uh, but uh, we had a ton of cars just going in and out of our parking lot all service long. And they were wondering what was going on. I mean, they were approaching the people. What are you doing here? We, we need to... And, and people were coming in our church parking lot and playing Pokemon Go. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? That night I go over to... Uh, uh, we went to Smashburger with some families from the church. And I am familiar with Pokemon because I was actually very involved in it when I was eight years old. But um, um, I, I, I look there and I see... Some of uh, the alumni from the youth department, there Miss Whitney Klein was, and, and, and there uh, Miss Kennedy Brown, she's not an alumni yet, we're going to hold on to her as long as we can, but there she is, and then uh, 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 Taylor was there, and I'm debating on whether we want to keep Taylor or not, but uh, there, there some of the younger folks are, and I'm like, have you heard about this? 
And Tristan Brown, this goofy smile comes on his face. And he begins to tell me with the exuberance of a child on Christmas morn about Pokemon Go. And he shows me how to play Pokemon Go. And he pulls up the map there. And, and you see your little character there on this map. And there's Pokemon. And, and they were catching a Pokemon. And they, they said this. And I don't know if they realized I am their pastor and uh, their youth director. But they were like, yeah, I caught three of them in the middle of church. Okay. <laughs> Come on, guys. Come on. Don't tell me if you're going to do it. And... uh uh, but, but Pokemon Go is taking the world by storm. And I'm just thankful to say, I am not playing Pokemon Go. But this week, and over, well, since its debut, which was only about two weeks ago, there has been some crazy stuff happened as a result of people's commitment level to Pokemon Go. For instance, there was a group of young people who went into a cemetery at night to play Pokemon Go. First of all, that's stupid to go into a cemetery at night, but they get locked inside the cemetery. And they're stuck there all night. Well, I hope you caught a bunch of ghost Pokemon because they were stuck, man. Uh, that's not even the worst. Uh, uh, there was a story in San Diego News of two people who cut a chain link fence, went through the chain link fence, and when there's a chain link fence up, that usually means something is on the other side, like a rabid dog or, uh, I don't know, a cliff. And these people fell off of a cliff the same evening about 50 feet from each other at about 1.10 in the morning. People falling off a cliff because they got their face in their phone. That's not even the worst. This is the worst. There was a young man who was playing Pokemon Go. And there were three police officers who had just, uh, 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 I guess, written a citation or just handled something. And I've seen the video. Uh, there there the, the police officers are. They're talking with one another, just kind of, uh, I don't know what they're doing, but they're talking. And out of nowhere, this car smashes into their cruiser, parked. And they, they jump out of the way. And the police officer goes up to the side of the vehicle there and he says, are you okay? And the kid goes, I guess that's what I get for playing Pokemon while driving. People are going crazy. Even when you open the app, it says, be careful of your surroundings, you moron. That's, I, I, I inputted the moron part, but that should be stated. But it's crazy the commitment level of these people to finding a digital monster that really doesn't exist. Wouldn't it be something if we Christians were half that committed to finding God's will and doing it? Wouldn't it be something if there were enough people to finally take God's will serious that before they made any major steps, whether financial, whether educational, whether occupational, they would say, I am going to find God's will and do God's will. Tonight, by studying Balaam's life, I want to share with you three truths about God's will. The first truth is simply this. Nobody 
should decide God's plans for you. Nobody should decide God's plans for your life for you. I want you to see this in verse number 16. Now, I'm not taking the Bible out of context. I'm not manipulating Scripture. Uh, Balak, uh, 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 after Balaam's second refusal to go with Balak, Balaam said, uh, Balak sends more princes, more honorable in verse 15. And then verse 16, notice this. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Notice this, don't miss it. Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Now, does anybody recall what Balaam's reason for not going was? Look guys, I can't do anything more than what God allows me to do. And even if I'm allowed to go, I'm going to have to speak what God asked me to speak. This is not my decision. This is God's decision for me. And yet Balak sends more princes, more honorable than the previous, and they say, oh, Balaam, you're really valuable to us. We'll, you don't even realize what, what will happen. You need to come with us. And this is what the message from Balak is. Let nothing. Let nothing stand in the way of you coming with me. What was his reason? God. Did Balak really think that that was a valid excuse for not coming? Well, Balak says this, I don't care about your God. Let nothing. Who's this God to dictate to you whether or not you're going to come with me? Let nothing stand in your way. Let nothing prevent you from coming with me. Here's the reality. Balak didn't care about Balaam. Balak was a, had his own priority in mind, didn't he? He had his own goals, his own ambitions. Balaam was just a tool that he was using. And yet, uh, Balak gives this advice. Let nothing stand in your way. You know who the author of God's will is? God. And I think that as children of God, it would be wise for us to follow our Father's plan for our life. To find His will and do His will. Nobody can decide God's will for you. And I will say, lest somebody get a wrong idea, the exception to this rule is children in submission to their parents. Now I believe with my whole heart, uh, teenagers and kids have immediate access to God's will for their life. In fact, I kind of envy them, to be very honest with you. You know, if, if, if they say, hey, I want you to clean your room. Boom, shakalaka, revelation from on high. God wants you to clean your room. You know, I don't get that revelation anymore. Nobody tells me whether or not I'm supposed to uh, buy that car or, or whether or not I'm supposed to make that financial decision. I don't have that anymore. But children and teenagers do. And so while I do say nobody should decide God's will for you, children, you are to submit yourselves to your parents. 
You're to honor them and respect their wishes for your life. Now, the moment their wishes for you become opposite of what God's wishes for you are, the Bible clearly says we ought to obey God rather than men. And I believe that that's, whether that's a, in a relationship of a pastor and, and someone in the church, or I believe whether that's a parent and a child, the moment that parent wants you to do something against God, they are now trying to take the place of God, and so you are to listen to God. But in regards to most people in this room, nobody should decide what God is doing in your life and where God may be moving you to. In other words, many times people come up to me and they uh, ask advice, uh, especially people will come up to our other pastor and say, Preacher, what do you think about this? That's all good, and I think counsel is wise, and we'll speak about that a little bit. Uh, It's good to get spiritual counsel, but I don't ever think men should dictate to you what God's will for your life is. Unless he can prove from the Bible, in fact, it, it, say if you come to me and you say, Brother Andrew, should I go soul winning? Well, the Bible says it. You see, there's a revealed God's will, and if somebody can show you from the Bible God's revealed will for your life, you say, uh, if a teenager ever comes up to me and says, Brother Andrew, I got a looker on my hip, man. She is some kind of purdy. I say, well, that's good. I'm happy for you. They say, the only problem with her, what is it? Does she eat too much? No, 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 she doesn't eat too much. Does she smell a little bit? No, 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 she smells like roses. Good, good, what's the problem? Uh, She's not saved. Well, I can prove to them biblically we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We have no communion with them in regards to uh, life-changing decisions. And so I can show a teenager that... uh, a message, and I can prove to them biblically, but nobody should decide God's will for you. I'm reminded of King, uh, or not King David, but uh, Daniel, when uh, the, he's taken away by the Babylonian captivity, and, and there he sits in, in the king's palace, and the king has portioned out meat and wine for all of these young princes. And these young princes were the best to look at. They were the smartest, the most educated, the, 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 the quickest wit. These were the studs, if you will. And Daniel just happened to be in there. And the king made a provision that each one of those young men were to eat his meat and drink his wine so that in a few months' time they would be presented to the king and he would say, yes, these are the young men that I want to train in our customs and our ways. And yet, the Bible tells us, even though they had given him a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, and even though they had uh, uh, tried giving him, uh, 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 engrossing him in the Babylonian customs there, you know what the Bible says? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat, nor would he drink the king's wine. Now, we've got to understand, Daniel has as much right as anybody to eat that meat. He's exiled from his family. He is in a king's palace. And and now, you know, it's kind of one of those things, when the king says to do something, you kind of do what the king says. But the king says that he's supposed to eat the meat and drink the wine. And you know what Daniel says? I'm not going to do it. And he just so happens to have three friends there. Uh, their Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, uh, but their, their uh, actual names were uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. 
And there they are. And Daniel says, I'll tell you what, if you will put this to the test, you feed me, you feed my friends here, uh, 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 pulse. You, you give us something to eat, not the king's meat, not the king's wine. Does anybody know what they were actually eating? I looked it up. Peas. They traded filet mignon and New York strip, and I don't know if it was technically those, but it, it very well could have been uh, 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 some type of ham or, or some type of pork, uh, and that may be the reason that Daniel didn't want to eat it. Maybe it was not new wine. Maybe it was wine that would intoxicate him. And Daniel said, look, that's not me. My culture, my customs, they won't allow me to have those things. But for some reason, Daniel said, I'm not going to eat it. And so you feed me peas instead. Could you imagine being Daniel's friend? Daniel, shut your mouth, son. Instead of going to steak and ale, you're taking us to the veggie lover's paradise. What is this? And yet all of those other young men that were there, they didn't make that decision. Look, Daniel understood nobody can decide God's will for him. What he was doing was simply finding God's will and doing God's will. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're not to be drunk with wine, where's in excess, but, uh, uh, but understanding, uh, uh, well, the Bible says, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, where's in excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. In other words, the way that a person finds God's will is to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit leads us and guides us and directs us. Uh, and so we have to understand that we have to be filled with the Spirit in order to find God's will. But nobody can dictate to us what God's will is besides God. If He's the author of His will, He is also the conveyor of His will. He will tell you what His will for your life is. Here's three very practical tips on how to find God's will. First of all, pray about it. It seems so simple, but so many times it's the thing that we neglect. If you want to find God's will, pray about it. Be careful for nothing, uh, but with everything, uh, uh, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your quests be made known unto God. So don't worry about it. If you have a question, pray about it. You know the best way to get an answer? Ask a question. And so if you want to find God's will, pray about it. You know what the second thing you need to do is? Seek spiritual advice. Seek spiritual counsel. The Bible says multiple times in the book of Proverbs, there is safety in a multitude of counselors. The Bible says every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice, make war. In other words, if you're going to make a decision in your life that may affect your family or that may, uh, may do something in your life, uh, uh, whether small or whether great, pray about it and find somebody spiritual to talk to. Here's the problem. When we want to know how to raise uh, kids, we don't consult the Bible. We consult David's Rob uh, David Robinson's book, how to, uh, how to Raise an MVP. When we want to know how to, to fix our life, we consult Oprah and Dr. Phil and Dr. Who Ain't Never Done It and all these other folks, and we don't go to the right places. Seek spiritual advice. I do not agree with 99% of the stuff that psychologist says, and the only 1% I do agree with is this, lay down. 
Look, don't just seek advice. If we can't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, what makes us think that we can yoke ourselves in, in taking counsel from them? You know what? If you go to somebody and you say, well, there's a really great salary and a really great promotion in Salt Lake City, Utah, and it would certainly bring in a whole lot more money for my family, you know what some secular counsel is going to say? Do it. I mean, absolutely jump on it. You know what a spiritual counselor might say? Well, would that affect your family? I mean, would that hurt your family? I mean, if it's God's will, do it. But make sure it's God's will before you make that tremendous decision. So, you've got to pray about it. You've got to seek counsel. And secondly, be open to closing doors. What's difficult about finding God's will and doing God's will is oftentimes when God's will doesn't start out as ours, it's difficult to make them align and agree. Right? When we go into something, we say, hey, I want this, but i got to check with God first. Isn't that what we say? We say, I want to find God's will, but I'm going to try finding God's will, and I really hope it agrees with my own will. Well, you have to understand that sometimes the answer is no. Oh man, we're fighting that battle with Caitlin right now. Thanks, Miss Dyer, for telling us that you're, uh, we're going to get to come over to your house in a couple days because, Caitlin, I want to go to Dyer's house. I want to go to Dyer's house. And we say, Caitlin, not today, not today. I want to go to the Dyer's house. Caitlin, not today, not today. She doesn't understand the word no, and we're having to teach her the word no. Christians, we're not really that much, uh, uh, much more mature in that regard than Caitlin is. Because we, we hear God, no, that's not a wise decision. No, don't go there. Well, God, I, I really think it would help. God, I, I really want that. You have to pray about it. You have to seek counsel, spiritual counsel, and you have to be open to closing doors. So nobody but God and you should decide God's plans for your life. Secondly, this is the second truth of finding God's will. In verse number 16, we'll find opportunity does not always mean blessing. Opportunity does not always mean blessing. Verse number 6, And they came to Balaam and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, uh, thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. Notice this, verse 17, For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou saith unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And I like Balaam's response here, verse 18, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Could you imagine having a king owing you one? Because that's what Balak is proposing. He's saying, Balaam, if you'll come do this, anything you ask of me, I'll do. Balak, uh, or Balaam, I, I will take care of your finances. You won't ever have to worry about money again. I'll promote you to the most honorable. Man, people will look at you with such envy and such regard. But more than that, Balaam, I personally will grant you anything you request. And from Balaam's perspective, doesn't that kind of sound good? As far as benefit packages go, is that not a pretty good one? Just because blessing was, or just because opportunity arose, that did not mean that that was blessing from God. I have seen it time and time again 
The devil will use blessings or supposed blessings to lure Christians out of God's will. I mean, it's, it breaks my heart when good families move away from a church that they're plugged into and, and from a job that is more than adequate so they can raise, earn 50 cents more an hour and yet never be in church. You explain to me, just because the benefits were there, was that God's blessing on their life? No. Just because opportunity arises doesn't always mean that it's God's will. For instance, when uh, Abraham and Lot were, were their their herdmen were were very they were struggling, there was strife between Lot's herdmen and Abram's herdmen. Their Lot's cattle were, and their Abram's cattle were. They were fighting over grass. They were fighting over water. And so Abram said, "Lot, here's what I need you to do: uh, you pick one direction, I'll go the other direction. Okay? So whatever you choose, I'll go the other way." Now we know what the Bible says Lot did, right? He lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plains of Jordan. And that was the direction he, uh, he, he chose. Because he's a herdman, right? That makes sense. He has cattle. He needs grass. And if it's well-watered, he needs water. And so Lot chose to go the direction that made the most sense. Now the only problem was that was the same direction as Sodom. That was the same direction as Gomorrah. And every step he took towards those cities was a step he took away from God. He chose to separate himself from the only spiritual counselor and uh, a spiritual influence in his life just because he saw a little grass on the horizon. You ever heard the phrase, the grass is a little greener on the other side of the fence? Well, in Lot's case, that's very true. Lot said, man, I'll go that direction because that makes the most sense. And the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Notice this, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, what's the rest of the verse? And He shall direct thy paths. The moment that your knowledge and intellect and experience step into choosing and finding God's will for your life is the moment you stop acknowledging Him and the moment you start regarding you. And at that point, God can't direct your paths because you've done it yourself. Look, just because a a door opens doesn't always mean that you should step through it. Uh, So we've seen, first of all, the first truth is nobody should decide God's plan for you. Secondly, just because an opportunity arises doesn't mean it's God's blessing on your life. And thirdly, this is the last truth, and this is going to sound really blunt. You don't have to do God's will. You don't have to. I mean, I would love to tell you that our sovereign God wrestles with us and forces us back into the direction of His will, but He doesn't. You know, it was not God's will that uh, Eve ate the fruit. It was not God's will that Adam, because of his affection for Eve, would then take the fruit as well. It's not God's will when somebody is raped. It's not God's will when somebody robs. It's not God's will. And yet, God allows these things to happen. God directs you in your life, and you don't have to listen to Him. But there's two terrible results when we don't. Notice this in verse number 22. And we're so close to being done. If you'll just stay with me for a little bit longer. Verse 22. When we don't do God's will, this is the first thing that happens. 
And God's anger was kindled. It's pretty simple. God got angry. It hurt God that His man knew what God's will was and chose His own path. And from my experience in my own life, and this is not an indictment upon you, I've never been confused about God's will in my life. But sometimes I've not always obeyed God's will in my life. Just because you know God's will doesn't mean you have to do it. But one problem that arises when you don't do God's will that you know of is God's anger is kindled. This is such a sad story in the Bible, but it's very true. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which is my favorite verse in all the Bible. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil. Notice this. To give to you an expected end. So God has an expectation cast before you in His will. He knows where He wants you to go, and He knows where He wants you to arrive. But there's a big difference between an expected will and an eventual will. How many of you have ever traveled on an airline? Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever traveled on an airline. Okay, Uh, all right. If you've ever traveled on any aircraft, you know there's a big difference between an expected arrival time and an eventual arrival time. How many times have you sat on the jetway for two hours only expecting your ride in wherever you're going, expecting you to arrive at some time, but eventually arriving at another time. There's a big difference. And even though God has an expected end for you, do you know you can get in His way? And not only can you delay God's inevitable will in your life, you can completely remove yourself from it. You can take yourself so far out of God's will that His anger then is so kindled against you that when you cry to Him, He can't hear you. And when you beg for His help, He won't help you. The Bible says in Isaiah 63, but they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. Do you know that you can so step out of God's will that His hand then rests against you and not on you? That's when your life becomes very difficult. If you start having a rash of circumstances in your life of a bunch of flat tires and and a bunch of unexpected financial dilemmas and a lot of unhealthy or bad medical things take place in your family it might be time to go to God and say, God, have I done something that might have placed me out of your will that your hand is now against me? What type of loving father would God be if he allowed us and supported us while we were in our rebellion? It's completely contradictory to the prodigal son story, is it not? I I uh, told it to somebody this way. Wouldn't it have been strange if the, the prodigal son had received a monthly stipend from his father when he was in the hog pen? In other words, if he had continued to have the support from the father, would he have not just to continue to live in sin? What type of father would continue to support that lifestyle? It was the loving father's hand that was placed off the, the young man. And the young man recalled in the middle of the hog pen, man, I miss dad's home. Man, I miss dad's love. And that is what God does for us. 
His anger is kindled when we don't follow His expected will. Not only, that's the first problem that happens, but secondly, this is really sad. Not only was God angry, but Balaam was oblivious. And to me, the talking donkey is not the craziest part of this story. This is. Verse number 22. And God's anger was kindled again uh, because He went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way. Notice, it gets really hairy here. And his sword drawn in his hand, and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. Do you notice the complete change from earlier in the story when Balaam was so close with God that he could call when God was going to speak to him? Remember these uh, young men from Balak? They approach him and say, Balaam, we really need you to come with us. And Balak says this, I'm going to go into my quarters. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you leave me alone. I'm going to go in and God will speak to me tonight and I will do exactly what God asks of me. Right? And then, he says, guys, I can't go with you. Another time they come by, more honorable princes the second time, and, and, and they say, Balaam, we really need you to come with us. Balak's kind of really needing you here. And Balaam says, I'm going to go into my quarters. You guys leave me alone in the morning. I'll tell you what God has said to me. And God clearly communicates with Balaam all the way up until now. And now God has sent an angel standing in the way of Balaam with a fiery outdrawn sword. And I just kind of believe the angel was like doing a little Jackie Chan stuff. Like, you know, the sword, this angel standing in the way. Balaam doesn't even know. What changed? God's anger was kindled, but Balaam was oblivious to God's movement in his life. Even a donkey could see that God was standing in the way of him, and Balaam was like, no, I'm going my way. You want to know why Christians have no idea how to sense God's will in their life? We've ignored it so long. And even if God were to send an angel to stand in our path and say, not this way, not this way, you know what we'd do? Huh, okay. Because we're oblivious to it. And sometimes the seeking of our own will becomes greater than the finding and the doing of God's will in our life. The other day I was watching a survival show And this man had worked for days and days to get this fire started. There he was. He was frustrated because all the uh, wood and all the tinder was wet. He was trying to get the fire started. When he got the fire started, he uh, shouted for celebration. Man, I'm excited. This is awesome. And then he needed to go boil some water because he was extremely thirsty. So what he does is he takes the water in the pot, places the pot over the uh, uh, water to rise it to a boil to purify the water. And he goes to reach for the water. When it's reached a bowl, you know what he did? He knocked his water over. Spilled on the fire and quenched his fire. His pursuit of his goal quenched the fire. You know what the Bible says in terms of finding God's will? Quench not the Spirit. 
You see, it's us seeking our own will, and what we do is, in our, in our pursuit to achieve our own goal, we pour our water on the blaze of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we quench Him, and we grieve Him. And even if God were to, were to direct us and try moving us, we would be so oblivious to God's movement in our life, we would not even know it if it hit us in the face. It's very simple. We are to find God's will and do God's will. And in Balaam's life, he was on point until his will took precedence over God's. And Christian, I have no doubt in my mind there are people in this room who are making life-changing decisions and have not taken the time to consult God on the matter. And you say, no, I've prayed about it, Brother Andrew. Well, did you seek any spiritual counsel? Did you, were you open if doors were trying to be closed? Because the moment your will supersedes the importance of God's will in your life is the moment you wouldn't recognize God's will even if it hits you in the face. Unfortunately, Balaam's story kind of gets even farther downhill than this. But we'll continue to study it and we'll continue to learn from this man's life. I promise you, as strange as Balaam is, if we'll pay attention to his life, it applies to us today.